Welcome to the Have You Met Her Yet podcast. This podcast highlights the accomplishments, confronts the uncomfortable, and addresses our most fascinating questions about women in the workplace. Who they are, what they do, why you should know them. Join me, your host, Lindsay Dunn, each week as I interview a new influential woman in the workplace. It is my passion to share their incredible stories. You can expect real conversations, lessons, and stories from Canadian women who are thriving in their industries. Have You Met Her Yet is brought to you by Pink Crown Creative, a Canadian creative agency and community. In this week's episode, I speak with Jaylene Crick from Smart Savvy and Associates. I can't wait for you to meet Jaylene. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you, Jaylene, for joining me today. Um, I would love it if you could share a little bit more about yourself. Um, so who you are, what you do, and how did you get to where you currently are today in your career? Thanks, Lindsay. I'm excited to be here. Um, I am one of the partners here at Smart Savvy and Associates. We are a specialty recruitment agency where we help companies find talent for their marketing, communications, and creative team. Uh, how did I get here? Well, my career started off after graduating from SFU in tech. So I'm a former software marketer. Product marketing is probably my main craft prior to recruitment. And I had a wonderful journey working through a variety of tech companies here in the Vancouver area. Um, And about 15, actually, sorry, 10 years ago, um, I met Peter Reek, the founder of Smart Savvy. And uh, every time I was looking to recruit for my team at a software company, he would knock on my door and say, hey, I can help you with that if you need any assistance. And at the time, not really understanding the value that recruitment agencies brought to the table, I uh, used to politely decline um, and build my own team. But Peter had planted a seed back then that I always thought every time I hung up the phone, what if? Like, what if I had looked at recruiting? What value does a recruitment agency bring? And so fast forward about 10 years ago, I was ready for a career transition. Peter and I met and I realized that uh, what recruiting offers and uh, the value that we bring to companies is something that I really wanted to do. So I transitioned my career from being a tech marketer to becoming a recruiter at Smart Savvy. Love this journey so much that two years ago, myself and James Bustard, one of the other recruiters, we bought Smart Savvy from Peter. Very, very cool. So yeah, long, long kind of journey that brought you back to something that's a little bit familiar and and exciting for you. Um, You know, how have things changed? You mentioned you started about 10 years ago in recruiting. Mm -hmm. Um, How have things changed since then? I'm sure things were completely different 10 years ago of what that looked like. We went through a pandemic. Can you maybe share a little bit about what that journey has looked like since 10 years ago to kind of what things look like now? Absolutely. It has been quite the journey over the last 10 years. I remember when I started, it was kind of interesting timing in recruitment because LinkedIn, which is, I would say, the primary sourcing tool for recruitment agencies and recruiters who are client side was just emerging 10 years ago. It was around, but not a lot of people knew about it. It was a It was a tool in your toolbox, but definitely not the dominant one. So our foundation of how we identify uh, candidates to target for our client searches was quite different. We had to rely on a wide range of tools. We even had to pick up the phone and do some 
investigative cold calling to figure out who the gatekeeper was. How do we try to identify how a marketing team or department is structured in order to determine who we're going to reach out to? So I think the biggest shift in, um, that I, I reflect upon is that 10 years ago, LinkedIn was one of the tools in the toolboxes, but a lot of more traditional phone-based methods and in-person event networking methods were used to identify individuals for your client searches. Now, there's been, of course, a lot of other changes beyond that. Um, Another one that comes to mind is uh, job titles. So um, up, and this is again an impact of LinkedIn, in the past, your career trajectory and your career accomplishments were contained usually in your resume, which you would then choose to share with a company if you were interested in an opportunity, whether you applied direct or were headhunted by a recruitment agency. And um, with uh, things out there like LinkedIn, um, your entire career history is now public. So um, job titles, I have noticed in recruiting, individuals have become more focused on the job title and more concerned that the job title needs to demonstrate career progression um, in order for that individual to consider a new opportunity. I can't tell you, Lindsay, and you probably experienced this yourself, how many times I've reached out to, let's say, a marketing specialist and they say, I've been a specialist for two years. Call me when you have a manager role. Or I'm not willing to have a conversation about a coordinator role uh, because it doesn't demonstrate the career growth I need. I'm ready for that next step. And so that is one thing I've noticed is a sensitivity to job titles because your public, your career history is now out there publicly. Um, another major shift, and you mentioned this earlier, Lindsay, is um, it's the, the global pandemic. Um, prior to uh, the pandemic, I would say that um, depending on where you are located, the Vancouver, British Columbia market was fairly healthy and robust. Um, you usually as a recruitment agency or recruiter had to work to build relationships, to build trust with clients so that they might consider using you to support them on a search. Um, and typically there was more of a trend toward companies who would either be looking for the best of the best in a player. So therefore the route to success was agency, um, or, they were struggling to fill a really specialized, specialized role where the profile of who you're looking for was quite uh, unique and hard to find. So therefore they would look at an agency or lastly, they had been searching for a while, but it was a trickier profile or the company maybe didn't offer as exciting and enticing benefits or culture as others. So they might need some extra support. So those are sort of the three reasons people would tap a recruitment agency, but we as recruiters would have to go out and try to generate um, and, and build the um, value proposition as to why partnering with a recruitment agency was better than doing the search on your own. Now, because of the global pandemic, everything has shifted and the market, rather than being balanced in terms of supply and demand, has now become very much skewed in the candidate's favor. Right. What that means is that we have this entire shift where we have lots of companies looking for people desperate for people in some cases, and not finding anyone who remotely fits the profile. And so there's been an influx of need in a lot of markets. And um, companies are having to really rethink their value proposition, what they offer in benefits and a culture in order to attract talent. And there that has increased the need for recruitment agencies to get involved. 
Yeah. Wow. So many things to think about. Like the first thing that is so interesting is the LinkedIn piece. Um, yes. How much that has changed. Like you said, your resume is fully public now, you know, and then there's that career progression. Um, not many people stay in the same role or company for more than five, even like, yeah, I was going to say even five years nowadays. Um, you know, it used to be, you'd be somewhere for 20 years and then, you know, you were maybe in the same role, maybe you got a promotion maybe once, and that's kind of how it was, but now you're always looking for that next kind of step, step, step. Um, and it's that competition of being seen online of what that's going to look like. Um, and yeah, then- you raise a good point, Lindsay, I'm just going to interject about the longevity, you know, in the past clients, we're very specific about, I want to see someone who's had three to five year stints in each of their roles. Now, because this has become a candidate focused market, candidates have their choice of opportunities, clients criteria has really flexed. They're like, as long as they have justifiable reasons for making a move every one or two years, I'm okay with that. I need to be okay with that. Yeah. Um, that brings me sort of to my next point of how that has now changed. I mean, I remember before the pandemic, um, working for a company that was absolutely against working from home. And Mm. first thing that made me laugh when the pandemic happened was what is this company doing now? I mean, everyone is kind of forced working from home and, and a lot of people have had to see that, Hey, there's actually some benefits to this. People are either to get, get things done quicker. They have that family life balance. Um, how have you kind of seen Things like that, like really crazy asks all of a sudden have to be mandatory in, in career searching right now. Yes, this has been a real, real interesting struggle and challenge for a lot of our clients. I remember thinking back when, when um, things started to shift with COVID, uh, we had one client who they have all desktop computers. They all go to the office Uh-oh. in the suburbs of Vancouver how do they pivot and shift to have everyone be able, they didn't even have like a Dropbox and a lot of the online shared servers for their documents. And, you know, it was a tremendous shift for them. They, they successfully did it and they're doing very well today. But I remember thinking back to that. Um, and you're absolutely right. Like one thing that this global pandemic has done is made people really clear about what they will and will not accept or look at. And uh, I, we get a lot of time questions about, well, why would that company be five days a week in the office when it's been proven that they've had to be remote for the last two years? So what does that say about their culture? And it has been a challenge. Um, and, I, you know, I was talking the other day with a, a tourism brand um, and they said, we have a conservative board. They just believe that we need to have people in the office five days a week. And I thought to myself, the risk you run here is you're not going to be the go-to for talent. Instead, you're going to be looking, having to really compromise on who you're looking for and probably um, maybe not get the best of the best or even the good of the good uh, quality candidate because of something uh, like that. So it has been a real shift. We are seeing candidates very firm on the, again, whether they will go in the office or not. On the flip side though, we have had many conversations and I'm sure you have too, Lindsay, with individuals who say, I've learned who I am even more and better than before COVID. And I realize I'm at my best when I'm in an office. Right. And so I wish we could find more of those people to be honest right now (laughs) for our clients, but uh, we are seeing the flip side as well. But uh, the in-office remote hybrid challenge for companies is just going to get harder unless those companies are going to work through those complex internal conservative challenges that they might have. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, what are what is something that you wish people knew about working with recruiters, whether it's client side or candidate side, whether a client has never worked with a recruiter before or a candidate hasn't? What are some things that you wish someone would know um, about working with a recruiter, some of the benefits that that might help them? Mm, that's a great question. I'm going to start with the client side because we do work for our clients. Our clients are the ones who fund us to go find the individuals for their role. And then I'll move over to the candidate side. On the client side, I think, um, what do I wish clients knew? I wish that they, they knew that competencies in marketing and communications and creative can be transferable across industry. Um, and sometimes, although you want the unicorn, <laughs> the more you prioritize the must-haves over the nice-haves, the better and the quicker your result. Now, that sounds a little bit cliche, so I'm going to add to that a little bit. I think that I was talking with a client yesterday about a struggle they're having with the search, um, and they haven't engaged us yet. I shouldn't say they're not struggling because they're working with us on the search. They may engage us to work on the search. But, um, you know, I said, look for the win-win. I think if, if you look for the win-win about an individual, their career goals and aspirations, who they are as individuals and how they thrive best, and then look at your ideal purple unicorn with a pink hat dream profile, it's about looking for that win-win between the two in order to get the right match. Also, I really do firmly believe that's going to lead to a longer term match versus a short term stop gap. So that's one thing I wish clients would know. I think uh, the other one that we continually need to educate our clients on, and I get it, recruiting is a beginning of the day and end of day activity. These are busy marketing leaders, communication leaders, is momentum. Momentum and keeping momentum is so critical to success in a search. And a loss of momentum, gaps between feedback and steps in a process is 100% going to kill that opportunity and you're not going to get the candidate that you want. So just being really mindful of, yes, you have a million other things on your plate, but recruiting needs to be a priority to keep the momentum going to get you who you want. Now, on the, on the other side of things, looking at it from a candidate's perspective, I would say that there is a bit of a uh, perception that sometimes that... Um, uh, if a candidate is looking for work, they can reach out to a recruitment agency and have an, uh, a call with them and share what they're looking for. And then that recruitment agency will bring them a bunch of opportunities. But that's actually a misperception. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we are funded by clients to fill positions. And our, our objective and our time is allocated to filling the roles that we have on our roster. So we love it when individuals reach out and they want to be on our radar. We love learning about them and their what they can bring to the table. Um, however, we are not going to be able to partner with that individual to go find jobs for that specific individual. It's the opposite direction. And so sometimes we do get a few individuals who say like, hey, I say in my resume, why won't you guys do an intro call with me? Quite frankly, in a 40-hour work week, in a very hot market with a lot of demand and, and desperate clients sometimes for help, we really need to, in order to serve our clients well, allocate that time to uh, finding individuals and vetting individuals that fit those roles. In a perfect world, we'd love to have a staff member or each of us to have a few hours a day to do introductory calls, et cetera. But quite frankly, we just often don't have the time. So that's a sort of a 
I think candidates just need to realize that um, you're on our radar. We'd love to have more time for you. It's not you. It's just the, the demands on our bandwidth. Yeah, I really, I really like that. Um, it's it's important for for uh, candidates to know that because, like you said, I think it is just an assumption that is out there, um, and then you get frustrated with a recruiter if they're not helping you find a job. But it's you got to know the way that things kind of work. Yes, exactly, and I can appreciate that. There are some wonderful individuals out there, despite the hot market. They're in a niche area where they're struggling to find something, or they have some blips in their resume, which requires some delicate explaining. and And I feel for those individuals, and and I'd love to be able to help them. But uh, you know, as a boutique agency, and and uh, again, if you were the client, you would want to make sure we were dedicating as much of our focus to your account because um, you're the one paying paying the bill. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I want to speak a little bit more about the candidate um, right now. So, you know, you've been in recruiting for over 10 years now. You mentioned that you previously were hiring people as well. Um, you know, I, with my own business, I started hiring people with recruiting. I've been interviewing people. I'm on the other end. I've learned so many different things um, in terms of like secret questions to ask, what to negotiate, but I would love your perspective. You know, what are some things that candidates can do to really make sure they're ready for an interview? What are some things that they don't even know they can negotiate? Any kind of things that you can share that might be helpful for someone looking for a career or might ace an interview in the future? Oh, wow. That's a, a big, robust <laughs> question, Lindsay. <laughs> I could, we, could, we need an hour on that one. Um, so we'll talk about sort of candidates, how what they can do to sort of prepare. And then we'll talk about the negotiation piece a little bit. Um, I would say that, uh, you know, it's, I mean, again, it's a hot market. Individuals don't have to do a lot necessarily right now to get noticed. But if you want to stand apart, you want to beat out someone else in the dream job, um, some of the things I would say you need to do is one is look at um, how do you augment what you do in the workplace with other things in the community or with a local, you know, BCAMA or IABC associations um, to really um, build your network and build your skill set um, beyond the actual competencies that you're achieving in a role. I think being able to answer behavior-based interview questions in the STAR format. So if you Google behavior-based interviewing star, it'll go through all the details on that. There's lots of research out there, but being able to, in an interview, give very clear, concise examples of a situation, what your role was in addressing the situation or project, what the results were, what did you learn about yourself or the project that you would do differently next time. So really trying to prepare in advance for an interview with, you know, five to 10 examples in your career um, that demonstrates sort of the the um, the results that you can bring in a concise way that will set you apart in interviewing. Another piece that comes to mind is I continue to see a lot of resumes out there that are good, but when we think about how do I stand apart from others, focus more on what you achieved, not what you were responsible for. That's what employers care about the most. Not that you did demand gen, but what were the results in the demand gen that you did? So looking at your resume with the lens of, does this demonstrate my achievements and accomplishments, or is it just a laundry list of what I did, I've done? So those would be some things that you could do on the candidate side to get noticed in the process and further in the process. 
I also think that when I reflect on a few individuals who have really stood out to me over the years, um, there have been a few that I thought it was just so, I don't I want to say clever, but it's, you're going to hear in a minute, Lindsay, it's pretty straightforward. Um, they prepared a PowerPoint deck. I had one individual who um, I placed at a large retailer here in Vancouver who relocated from central Canada. And she knew that her brands that she had worked for were unknown here, even though they were well-known brands in, in central Canada. So she did a deck that really broke down, not who she worked for, but what did she deliver in the competencies of marketing or in the scope of a marketing director role and had visuals, et cetera, and then results. So that when she did get into an interview, she could walk offer proactively to walk through a deck about her experience and her story. Uh, very clever. She stood apart. Honestly, in 10 years, I've only seen probably a PowerPoint deck less than 20 times, if you can believe it, Lindsay. Yeah. And um, and I and like she'll forever stand apart. And she got the job that we were working with her on, and she's been promoted twice. So she's definitely a stand apart. Cool. Um yeah, so the, the PowerPoint deck are finding ways to stand out. Thank you, you know, handwritten thank you cards. There, you know, there are ways to go above and beyond to be noticed. Now, on the negotiation side, um, <laughs> this is a tough one because we see things through the lens of a recruitment agency. And when you're working with a recruitment agency, you will have very open, candid conversation about your career history from a compensation perspective what's important to you in making a career move because sometimes compensation is not the main element it's vacation or it's culture fit or meaning and purpose um, for this next chapter in your career and then that that recruitment agency will represent you to their client and pretty much upfront share compensation expectations so you don't go have to go through the entire process wondering what am i going to be offered i mean there's a little bit of flex there but yeah. So when you get to the final stages, there's often not a ton of back and forth negotiation because everything is operated with transparency from the outset. However, there's going to be many times where you're going to be applying for a job direct and, and working on that, that, uh, uh, that offer negotiation directly with a company. And I would say a couple of tips come to mind. One would be really at offer stage, think about what is, if you're going to counter, think about out of the three or five pieces you want to counter on, what are the most important and what are nice to have? You're not going to get everything probably. Um, and uh, some things can, you run the, you can run the risk of looking to what's in it for me, too detail oriented and too one-sided. So you may read in a contract, find five things, pick your top two or three to ask about or in how you frame and make your requests, know and be okay with that you're not going to get them all. The second piece I would say is um, to be very respectful and thankful, even if it is a hot candidates market and you get four offers, right? This company is putting their best foot forward. They, are, they want you, right? And they're going to be devastated if you don't probably take the job in today's world. So being just really respectful in how you receive an offer um, and asking for, uh, you know, 24 hours is kind of the normal to think about it and circle back and, um, and being very appreciative and, and showing gratefulness will be important. Um, I would say lastly, uh, if you, um, let me just pause here for a second and think about how to phrase this. Make, okay, here it is. Uh, make one ask. 
what gets really annoying for our clients in the situations where there is back and forth is if you make an ask, they go to bat internally, get you that ask. They come back and they're excited because they're like, okay, we, we got you what you asked for. And then you make another ask and then they have to go back again. Just like looking at their agreements with a lawyer. And, and if you go back five times, picking apart the words, go back once if you can. Again, take that time to look at the agreement, to process what's important to you and what's a nice to have. Go back with one ask, sometimes two, but the back and forth four, three, four, five times, that just hurts your brand reputation and will uh, raise a few eyebrows with that client, unfortunately. Yeah, I love all of those pieces of very valuable information. Um, I, I really like the one ask as well. I mean, that's one thing that I think when you are working with, with a recruiter, sometimes you might get a little bit cocky thinking, okay, now I can ask for all these things and we can kind of go back and forth and do this. And, um, you know, it, it is important to re be respectful of, of what each individual is doing to go to bat for you to make sure you're getting those things. Um, so yeah, I like that you've really kind of rounded that out. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, it's a tricky one, right? Um, and I think people don't realize with recruiters, you can be transparent about um, what you're earning and, and, and where you want to head and what else you're looking at. Um, and so it's when you're working with a recruitment agency and you're at the offer negotiation stage, there's often not negotiation. If you're working direct with a client, it really depends on that client circumstance. We have one client who they do all transparent salaries. They do salary surveys once a quarter. And this is the salary for this role in Western Canada, top X percentile. And that's what it is. And we love that because then there is no negotiating back and forth because they've been transparent at the outset. Yeah, you know, I would love to talk um, a little bit about the salary piece. So, um, of course, this year has been absolutely crazy for... Um, price increase across the board, you know, specifically in Vancouver with gas and many other things that are getting more expensive. Um, with the salary ranges that you're seeing right now and within the last few years, um, what are your thoughts with it in, in compared to Vancouver living? I mean, I, I was very shocked when I moved here from Toronto um, with, I thought was a wonderful salary, moved to Vancouver, asked for a raise because I thought, you know, Vancouver is so expensive. I need that raise. But then when I got another job after working from a Toronto company, I couldn't believe the difference. So just kind of wanted to know, do you feel like we're, we're getting to a better place with salaries in a very, <laughs> what are your thoughts? Yeah. The salary is a tricky, <laughs> tricky topic, Lindsay, especially for the Vancouver market. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I would say that, um, well, there's so many ways I can answer this, that, generally speaking, uh, and this is probably more pre-COVID, salaries in the Vancouver market are 15 to 20% lower than anywhere else in Canada. We're talking Saskatchewan, Alberta, Ontario. If we talk to folks there, we assume when we're on the phone with them and they reveal their salary that they're probably 10 to, there's 15 to 20% higher. More 15, I'd say is the norm. Um, so definitely seeing that. And then we have the double whammy because we also have the higher cost of living here compared to most markets in Canada. So recruiting from outside this market to get people to move here is challenging on the salary front a, a lot of the time. Uh, we always joke that the, the reason why people move to Vancouver from another market like Toronto, like you did, is uh, for love. <laughs> uh, because then you're willing to make the financial sacrifice that you, you, you're going to have to take. 
or it's for aging family members and, and family reasons, uh, not just aging, but health issues, et cetera, mm-hmm. or the lifestyle. You can be, you know, at your desk till 4.30, your home desk these days, it seems, and on the mountain doing the grouse grind at five o'clock um, every day. And then you can be skiing at Cyprus the other days. So it's the lifestyle that people were willing to make a sacrifice for. Some clients have called it the mountain tax here. Um, <laughs> and so um, in terms of salaries, have they changed much over the last two years? I would say it's still to be confirmed or do, sorry, TBD, to be determined. We're seeing uh, a wider range of salaries for a specific role. So in the past, we might be able to predict like a demand gen marketing manager is going to be between X and Y based salary uh, in our market. Now it's between like, uh, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F in salary. Like the ranges are broader because some companies are willing and will pay over over the top to get that individual. Um, we are also starting to see some nice upward movement on salaries, but not what we're still not catching up with other markets because we were already behind to begin with. And um, uh, this is only going to be a bigger challenge. What I would say, though, is that uh, we do a lot of work with nonprofit clients as well. And most of our nonprofit clients say, I want someone from for-profit. Uh, and that <laughs> scares us at first, but um, we have been able to find people. So one of the beauties of the global pandemic is that um, it has created a, a quite a nice um, demographic here in Vancouver and probably anywhere of people who are more mission and purpose driven and looking for fulfillment and contribution to our world in a different way. And therefore they're even in our expensive, crazy Vancouver market, willing to take a, a cut to have that meaning and purpose. And we've seen this consistently, even in 2022, I can give you countless examples of that already. Uh, but one would think, you know, the salaries are, are going up or they need to go up and it's going to be hard to recruit people to take a pay cut to go to nonprofit. Not all nonprofit, I should be clarified, requires to take a pay cut. Um, but we're, we're still seeing people who are, are purpose and mission driven. In fact, I'd say we're seeing more of that. Does that answer your question on salary? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really do agree with you in terms of purpose and, and mission as well. I, I absolutely see that time and time again, when I have conversations with people that a lot of it is they want to tie to what they're passionate about, what they care, yes. about, what what they want to give back for, what what they want to be known for. Um, so yeah, I absolutely agree with you on that one for sure. I think it, it does yeah. make Vancouver a very different place because we do have so many things that kind of um, there's lots of companies, there's lots of volunteer opportunities. There's lots of places that are making the world better in Vancouver. Yeah. Yeah. And it does, you know, break my heart a little bit though, because I know how expensive it is to live here. So when a candidate says to me, I just can't make that move for my family. Like we're barely, you know, making ends meet right now. I, I fully accept that. And understand that because it is, you know, we have this double whammy. It is super, the cost of living here continues to go up and the salaries are not going up with it, which makes it really hard. But we live in a beautiful place. So it's, it's, some of us are willing to make that sacrifice. <laughs> Difficult with the mountain tax. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Um, so I kind of want to talk a little bit about women in the workplace. So um, with your years of hiring and recruiting, um, you know, have you seen a wage gap? Have, do you feel that women are confident asking for what they want? What is kind of your experience been with that? Surprisingly, 
I have really not seen it. And most of my team members would say the same. Now, I don't know if it's because we're seeing things from a recruitment agency lens and and our conversations with clients at the outset when we kick off a search. But um, I honestly cannot think of an example where uh, I felt like they were going to go to offer with a candidate where they were lowballing or going lower because it was a female, um, as an example. I have, I honestly haven't seen it. So in a way, I feel like a little bit uneducated or, or um, out of the norm because you can see it's prevalent in so many organizations across North America. Um, so I, I think it, I would talk it up to from a recruitment agency lens because we have such a conversation on compensation um, we don't see it as much to your question about confidence though, for women asking for what they're worth or, you know, and, and, and really advocating for themselves. I have not personally seen that as an issue as well, but we dig pretty deep in these screening conversations with candidates to, to really understand, you know, what, what is their move factor and where does compensation play a role and do they, you know, for the mandate of the role we're exploring with them, you know, do they feel that that is an adequate compensation, et cetera. Um, where I see it more surprisingly, Lindsay, is people who come from other markets. Hmm. Uh, you know, they're trying to get established here, so they will take anything. And sometimes companies take advantage of that, not obviously through us, we won't allow that, but you know, where they're like, well, okay, you know, this person, we're going to pay them. We can get a good deal on this person because they need this market experience. And um, I don't like that. I think that's really unethical, uh, but I see that more where candidates aren't confident. So my guidance to candidates coming from other out of market um, or maybe even pivoting their career to a new area so they feel they have to start a lower is just to kind of express when asked about compensation expectations that you're expecting fair market value for that particular position in this market. You shouldn't have to, if a, a marketing manager role pays 55 to 75K um, in XYZ industry in Vancouver, you shouldn't have to take 45K. That's not, that's not kosher. Um, so just being confident saying, I'm looking for fair market value for this role in this market, I think is a better approach. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm happy to hear that um, for sure. Like you said, it, it does absolutely still happen, but it, it is good to know that, you know, you have had um, a lot of really great experiences with women, either being confident or you're able to yes. coach them through something, um, or you haven't seen that bias, you know, in, in interviews or in, or in hiring at all. Yeah. And I don't want to minimize that because I know it is an issue and I see it all the time. And I, I feel a bit naive because I'm like, wow, why have we not mm-hmm. seen it? And, and it's not, we're not special or different. It's just, I think the lens of where we're coming from and, you know, certainly want to encourage, you know, female listeners and, or just anyone listening to this podcast to work on that confidence piece and, and to get your fair value. And this is the time it's a hot market. What better time versus, you know, three years ago where you may have to really work hard to get something, um, because the supply and demand was not in your favor. Yeah, absolutely. So within the last few years, especially with the pandemic and changes of people working from home, more family life involvement, um, have you seen any policies change with any clients you've worked with um, for the better in terms of maternity leave, paternity leave, any family additional perks, anything that you feel is going in in the right direction? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so haven't seen many shifts on the maternity paternity piece. Um, there are uh, 
few companies that offer like the, the wonderful top up piece. Um, which more companies offer that? Because uh, it, it is, I'd say, a bit rare in our market. Um, in terms of perks or benefits uh, that I've seen a shift on, you know, we have seen some companies introduce like a. Oh, there was one the other day that. Oh yes, it's a new client that I'm just going to be starting a search with later this week. A tech company where. It's great. They have a either commute benefit or a work from home benefit. So if you choose to go to the office, you get a similar style perk to or financial benefit as to someone who chooses to work from home. So that was kind of nice to see. Um, but honestly, I haven't seen a, a major shift in a lot of those pieces yet. Uh, uh, I'm sure it's to come. And um, I'm sure there are a lot of HR leaders and organizations looking at that. But I haven't seen any, any major trends. Okay. Yeah. That, that's good to know. Um, it's been cool to kind of see the shifts change and that conversation happen. Um, you know, previously a lot of those things didn't happen. There were a lot of yes. males in leadership positions. They didn't have to think of those types of things. Um, so I'm glad that, you know, hopefully things are getting better. There are conversations that are, are making it easier for families um, and, and women in the industry as well. Yes. Yeah. I hope for that too. Um, I saw a viral video during the pandemic. I, I'm sure you've seen it. If you haven't, you must, it is this guy who was taking interviews, um, and he was just doing the most outrageous things. He was in the shower. He was in a drive-thru eating food, drinking alcohol. What are some crazy things that you've seen on interviews? <laughs> I have not seen that video, but you can bet I'm going to Google it after our, our conversation today. Uh, it sounds like it'll give quite a laugh. I would say that, you know, it's, it's funny when you we were talking about the other question, I was thinking about the interview process. Certainly most first interviews are now virtual and mostly video, um, which is great. Of course, we see a lot of clients hiring with no in-person component, but that's starting to come back more. And, um, and I definitely a lot more forgiveness on interviews, like when the dog barks or the kids interrupt. Uh, you know, definitely seeing a lot more um, flexibility and freedom. That said, we do have a few clients. We had one, Lindsay, I don't know if you remember this one. It was earlier this year where they didn't like that the, the individual, um, I think it was that their like doorbell rang and they actually paused the interview to go get the doorbell. And, uh, and I thought that was kind of interesting. I think it's all in your framing right? Like if it's just to pick up your Amazon package, maybe not, but if it's how you frame, leave that interview and come back and what you say that can save you. Or in this case, it hurt the individual. Oh, um, but I haven't, you know, I, well, we have had a few individuals do interviews in their car, but they always give us a heads up so we can let our client know, here's the situation. They currently work in an office environment. There is no private space there. So they're going to be doing the interview from their car because otherwise they have to book time off. Yes, if you can believe it, in order to not be in the office, uh, one of those more traditional cultures. And but we usually have a heads up when we frame it as best as we can. I um, I don't know about you, Lindsay, but I can't think of a case where we had a really odd uh, interviewing scenario where someone's like going through the fast food drive through or anything like that yet. <laughs> but I can't wait to see that happen. Although brand reputation wise, I don't know if that would be a good thing. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's quite shocking. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited for you to, to see it. Um, I have not experienced anything out of the norm yet either. And yes. I'm waiting for that day. I know I get the crazy situation, so I'm waiting yeah. for it to happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, you do in recruiting, get a lot of unique scenarios. Recruiting is art and science. Uh, but yes, I don't think we've had that pleasure yet. 
Um, so you've been in recruiting again over 10 years. If you weren't being a recruiter, what else would you be doing? Any other interests that you have? Anything that you'd be interested in pursuing? Oh my goodness. That's a great question. Um, I think my kids would tell you that mom should just not work and, and be a stay-at-home <laughs> mom with them. They, they're quite attached. We have a good time um, and probably good because they're hitting into the teenage years. Um, I... The reason why I went into recruiting is the connection piece. Um, you know, we always, we talk about smart savvy, like we want to be sort of convey and be part of connectedness between companies and individuals, et cetera. Uh, when someone tells me I have a need for finding this, or I have a gap here, I will obsessively think about who do I know, who knows someone who knows someone who can solve that need or fill that role, et cetera. I love connecting people and with either other people or problems. So I probably, I love recruiting. I, I mean, I bought Smart Savvy, uh, so our agency. So I think this is my career path, but if I were to do something else, it would probably be something to do with connecting. I've always been intrigued by matchmaking. I remember way back when I even requested a franchise package from, uh, I think it was like, it's just lunch, like a dating matchmaking oh. service. Because again, it's that, how do you take someone and get to know the whole them and connect them with someone else or a company. So it'd probably be on the matchmaking piece. Very, very cool. Um, yeah, I, I think that that makes perfect sense it, it, for you to kind of go in that direction. You're a good matchmaker, good connector. Yeah, but I'm sure smart savvy is my career direction. So <laughs> it's, a, it's just a, a thing out there, right? So yeah. Um, so smart savvy's recently rebranded. Um, anything cool and exciting that we can see from smart savvy or any changes that you you want to share with us for the next year, few years coming up? Yeah, it was it was a fun adventure post purchase of Smart Savvy to sort of do a little bit of a brand refresh. Um, I know we were known for our dark red background and we lightened that up a little bit. I think, um, you know, now that we've launched our new website, one thing we're just really excited about is we have a fantastic social media expert on staff. Her name is Lindsay, our other Lindsay, content mm-hmm. Lindsay, and she's going to be working on our strategy to you know, for social media and and looking at some of the things we used to do, like newsletters, like how do uh, clients and candidates who want to be on the smart savvy radar, uh, stay connected with us and, and feel the authenticity and and the value that we could bring to them. Um, So really excited to see sort of the, the next wave of that, that will be driven by our content, Lindsay. Very, very cool. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, So we're just going to change things up a little bit before we end. Um, We're going to go through a quick speed round of questions. So this is a no pressure question round. Um, Just whatever comes to your head first. Uh Uh-oh, we might have to edit this part depending (laughs) on what what I could think of at that time. (laughs) Um, What is one talent that you wish you had that you don't have? Oh, um... I wish I could do a cartwheel. Oh, never have been able to. Really? Oh, yeah. well, it's never very too- random. <laughs> and on the recruiting side, it would probably be to thinking on my feet in a public panel setting at a marketing event. Both, both things that you can absolutely do. One day you can, you can work on both of those. Um, what is your greatest extravagance? Um, chocolate. Ooh, chocolate. Yeah, quality chocolate. Quality chocolate. What is the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? 
<laughs> to not be a recruiter and stay in my tech marketing path. Oh. It wasn't the worst piece of advice, but I, you know, there were a lot of people that thought, why would you leave your wonderful career in tech and become a commission-based recruiter? Like, why would you do that? Uh, best decision I ever made in the end, because it's about purpose, passion, knowing who you are and what's best for you and your family. So no regrets, but that would be one wow. where I'm so glad I, I ignored them. <laughs> That's wild. Um, what is something that you want to learn more about? I want to learn more about the art of coaching. I have taken coaching courses. Coaching is so valuable and being curious in how you approach any conversation, whether professionally or personally, starting conversations or questions with, I'm curious to diffuse the situation a little bit. Um, there's so much to, uh, coaching has to offer, and I've only seen a little taste of it. And I think it just makes you a better parent and a better recruiter uh, the more you invest and learn about coaching. Yeah, absolutely. What would you say is your favorite rainy day movie? Uh, <laughs> oh, I like action movies. I do like movies with like Tom Cruise in them. So sort of shoot them up action movies where if you get interrupted, it's okay. The gun scene's still going on. You don't have to worry. Uh, so something along those lines, maybe even some of the classic Bruce Willis ones from the past, Brad Pitt. I'm nice. dating myself in my age here, <laughs> but uh, yes. Action movies. Love it. Um, what's one place you want to travel to? Oh, there's so many places I haven't had the opportunity, although I did have the gift working in tech of business travel and we managed to see some incredible places around the world. Um, I have some curiosities about going sort of to um, Thailand and some places in Asia that I haven't experienced. I have been to, you know, Singapore and Hong Kong, et cetera. Um, so I think that that would really just make me a more worldly, uh, more knowledgeable individual to see some of the places in Asia I haven't uh, ever had a chance to venture to. Well, I like it. Um, three people that you would love to have at a dinner party. Ooh, we used to ask this in the very first screening days at Smart Savvy. It was like, <laughs> if you could meet with anyone, living or dead, fictional or not, uh, who would you want to meet with and why? And uh, that's a classic question from our past. But uh, I would say, I, I think Oprah Winfrey would always be interesting to have at the dinner table for conversation. Um, probably. Um, uh, great grandmother um, who lived in, of course, a very different time, had 11 children, uh, you know, was an immigrant, just something along someone who can really share some of our past family history. Um, and then probably good old Seth Godin, um, because of course, he's a guru in our space, we get hear about him, his books get quotes quoted by him for candidates and clients that we're working with. And I think I would learn a lot. I love that. How would you like to be remembered? Ooh, so I think although I, we all have these amazing careers and career aspirations, I think at the same time, what we all want to be remembered as is a good person, a good mother. In my case, I have two kids, a good wife. And, and what does good mean? It really is your own personal definition of what makes excellence in that area. Uh, but it's really about being who you are, authentic and caring for others that over trumps anything else that you do in your life. And that's what I want to be known for. 
And the last question I have, I always like to end on is what is your favorite thing about being a woman? Ooh, that's an excellent question, Lindsay. I'm going to have to reflect on that one a little bit. I think uh, women are multifaceted. Uh, I know I have mastered the skill of multitasking and we are all very unique in our own ways. Some of us are, have more an emotional and people-centric uh, personality. Others are analytical, et cetera. And I think uh, as a woman, what I'm most proud of is I am, um, I am just authentically me. I'm not like anyone else I've ever met, probably never will be. And I'm at peace with that. I'm confident in who I am and I'm proud of just being who I am in the presence of others, whether professionally or personally. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that. It was a wonderful wealth of knowledge hearing your experience and all of the wonderful advice you've given. Um, where can we find you? Yeah, so the best way to reach me would probably be my, my uh, Smart Savvy email, jaylene at smartsavvy.com. Um, also, I do spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. Um, and so, that you, you know, shoot me a connect. Happy to have a little dialogue. I do have a bit of an obsession of making sure I respond to any individual who takes the time to... Uh, connect. And before we leave, is there anything else you'd like to leave um, our listeners with today? Uh, Lindsay, these are excellent questions. You really had me thinking on my feet today, which is great. Um, you know, recruiting is an art and a science. Uh, there are many different perspectives, many different things going on in someone's life around them that uh, impact their career decisions, etc. Uh, I would just encourage individuals to just keep being them um, and, and their authentic selves. If there is a need in the future uh, for recruiting support in marketing, communications, or creative, whether you are an individual looking to grow your career or a company facing this difficult, tough market right now, um, you know, love to connect and see if we can be a value add. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time. It was wonderful having you. Appreciate your time too, Lindsay. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share it with a friend who you think might enjoy it too. These small actions truly made the world to a small business owner like myself. You can also stay up to date with the latest podcast releases, behind the scenes, and insider info about each guest by following us on Instagram. If you are interested in being a guest or learning more about our sponsorship and partnership opportunities, I would love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. It truly means the world. We wish you a wonderful week and hope that it is filled with creativity and love.